right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Sala here. First interview of 2022 is with our friend Tommy Fleetwood. We've recorded this, uh, as you will be able to tell pretty easily, on New Year's Eve. Talking about the past year in Tommy's life and golf life, uh, what the future entails and what he's working on and uh, some of the ups and downs he's had in the past couple years. Ryder Cup, the usual suspects, as you might imagine. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Roback Activewear. We've heard a lot about Roback for a while. We had to check them out. We put them in our shop. The only problem is we could not keep them in our shop because these things sold out so quickly. Their performance polos fit a lot better than your typical boxy polos. Their four-way stretch is next level. The material is super soft, stays wrinkle-free, and the founders went through over 20 iterations of the collar alone to ensure it keeps its, its shape but doesn't get in the way of your golf swing. Second, Roback's performance Q-zips are a game-changer. They're soft. You'll be throwing darts in these things all day long. They're the definition of versatile Third, and lastly, Roback's performance hoodies are the stretchiest, softest hoodies in golf. They may be the softest, most comfortable performance hoodie on the entire market, and Roback's hoodies are not only popping up on the golf course, but also over in the NFL. So you can use code NLU on Roback.com for 20% off your first order through the end of this week. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com, 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and tees with code NLU. They just dropped some new hoodies and Q-zips that are perfect for the winner. So go check them out and start off 22 with some rowback. Without any further delay, here is Tommy Fleetwood. All right, Tommy, we're recording this on New Year's Eve. It's much closer to New Year's Eve uh, on your side of the pond than it is mine. But what's your uh, what's your energy level as we turn the page into 2022? Uh, there's been a crazy 15-plus months of golf, uh, maybe even more than that. What's your energy level like as we go into the new year? It's good. Like, I've had a nice... A nice break, which um, you always need at some point. Um, it's funny, really, because the the winter and that sort of time off that people get can go differently year on year. Sometimes you you feel like you're grasping something and you want to keep working and you want to work really hard. Sometimes you just want to break. So you take it as it comes. But I think, you know, I've, I've enjoyed this period of being at home, being with the family. The Christmas vibe is always something that I love. And um you know, I've not really done much with golf clubs, but I feel feel in a good place to start the year, really. So all all is good. Is December in England a good time to to work on your game? Do you have places that you know? <laughs> I know it's as I say it. I know it's not a great place, but do you have you know enough access to? I'm sure you have access to whatever you want to. But indoor facilities. What do you do to to stay sharp, or, or if anything, during the um, uh, the winter months in England? Uh, well, I've done nothing this month, but it's um. It's it's an interesting question, really, because I always think that it's a hard comparison when kind of, you know, I, th- I think people always talk about practice facilities or the conditions or the weather. But then, like, it's very rare that somebody puts the equivalent amount of work into it in England as they would do, say, in Florida or something, to, you know, no matter what the weather and the conditions. So you never quite get like a fair comparison in a way to say how much would it does it harm you or affect you or does it not make a difference if you put the work in? So, you know, that's something that I guess is, you know, never really looked at as much. But, you know, things are fine. You have that time. You can hit balls on a range. That There are golf courses that manage to stay in good condition and you can do some practice on them. And it's just it's just what you want to do. Like I say, I've enjoyed 
being, you know, having this time off. And I think I've played, I've played one and a half, maybe two rounds of golf, I think, since stopping at the DP World. So that's a pretty large break. But, you know, you come out of it and you feel pretty fresh. I actually hit some balls this morning and it felt okay, actually. I was pleasantly surprised with, like, I felt quite coordinated when I was hitting them. So that was nice. Well, it's funny that I always think, you know, it's funny to hear a tour pro say that because I always think, you know, you, get, you take some time off, you come back, you always hit it better than you think you will. But the chipping and putting is what I do. You'd think that'd be the easy part coming back. It takes me weeks to get my touch back around the greens. But uh, maybe yeah, it's just a dip, something about expectations. When you when you take some time off, I, you can feel the club come through the zone a little bit better. I really don't know what it is, but it, it's funny to hear you say that. Even There's something that. about it, and I don't know whether you're just expecting to be shocking, so you hit with like a nice surprise and you think it's better than what it actually is. But 100% on the short game, and especially you know, when, when the course is here, they obviously get a lot slower and softer in the winter you're kind of, you know, you're chipping with a lot of pace on the ball or landing it in a different spot. And when you eventually come to start playing, you're constantly taking pace off the ball um, around the greens and like just the pace and the and the difference in shots is so, it's like such a change that that does take a bit of time to get used to. I mean, you know, majority of the time, seven iron is a seven iron. You just got to get used to how it, you know, goes in the heat or maybe you have to adjust a couple of things in your swing. But the touch and feel and the way you see shots around the greens is is a big difference when you when you get back at it have you been out at uh west lanks much during your time at home we played once trying to remember if we played nine or 18 i think we played 18 i was me and finno um we just had um i actually played with persimmons um just for a change and uh we just had a we, we had a knock but actually funnily enough the course was so dry and in such good condition um so that was really good we played on a really nice morning as well so that was nice that place is so underrated. It just it blows my mind to see top. Yeah, there's so many of them like that um, around that way. Just underrated courses that people don't see that much. But and and especially in this country, like on that coast. Uh, I mean, on on every coast, it'll be the same. But you know, for me, that's the nearest one to me. And it stays the place stays so dry. And like we we played, and there was you know no puddles. Like it was so dry underfoot. Um, it, it's like it's just the best you're gonna get this time of year. Well, looking back on this past year, how would you uh, how would you rate your twenty twenty one? Not very good. This, you know, I, I guess disappointing in many ways in terms of uh, performances. But I, I think when you have time to sit back and look back, it'll um, you know you learn you definitely learn more from the difficult times than you do from the great ones or when the game is is coming easy to you. So um, I think looking back, it is a it's a positive in that way. And I, I guess you always have to try and make things into a positive and, and keep pushing forwards it's you know i was i was very rarely up there competing on a sunday for a tournament i um struggled in the biggest events and uh, my game was just never there or thereabouts and definitely like consistency over four days was never there so it was tough in that sense um but again i think you you know you pick things up from those times and you can take them forwards with you and like you know i feel good about things going into next season which is the only way you can look at it, really. Is there, you know, when things aren't going, you know, to plan or as well as you'd like, and I think it's, it's important, you know, to keep in perspective, you know, when you go look at your OWGR page, it's not miscut, 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 miscut that we're talking about here. So it's it's kind of like your golf was, in, if, if you know, in, in no better way to put it, mediocre, I think, compared to what you would like to consider your, your best golf to be. But you're not off by a drastic measure is it harder to identify what you need to change? Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, totally. And I, I, th- I think the hardest, I think the hardest thing these days is like you, you play 
you know, I, I obviously play quite a lot. I, pl- I play two tours, but when you when you step away from the game or, or like most things when you when you kind of step away you see a lot more clearly and when you you keep playing and you keep searching for it all the time you, you don't quite see things as clear and and the other thing is the stand, standard of golf is ridiculously high at the moment the players the strength and depth like i mean you look at the top 50 in the world these days and the players that are that you know it, i feel like it's changed even in the last year or two where there's not, you know, it's it's so bunched up and the standard is so high and, and bunched together. And it's it's just getting that way. So so when you are struggling and you don't see scores, which is the same and the game will always be that way. There's going to be times where you find the game easy and there's going to be times when it's just not coming to you at all and you don't see scores. And, and those periods are just going to get more difficult to make any kind of ground or or, you know, get sort of back to where you want to be as quickly as possible. Just because the standards are so high but definitely when you're when you're there week in week out it's so easy to search for something every day try and find that little thing that you think is going to make the difference and um and it's you know it's not that easy to find <laughs> have you found any or do you have any particular things that you you know you you know you want to work on or fix or you know you can get as general or specific as you want with that uh i, th- I think the two biggest um issues for me last year were my driving was poor by anyone's standards and that has always been a big strength of mine i'm not one of the longest uh, but i hit it a decent distance and i've always been very accurate off the tee so it's always been quite a big strength of mine and that's been a struggle and then you know i haven't put it as solid as i have done in previous years so both ends of each golf hole i i didn't do that well and i struggled a bit and then scoring becomes hard and i, th- I think when you know you're you sort of know when there's you feel like there's bad shots in there and and you can even be having a great day you can be four or five under but always feel like you're on the edge of losing your ball or something and it always catches up with you eventually when when that is the case and that's just how the year kind of kind of went but but definitely driving the ball is is a massive uh part of the game for for everyone and and especially me you know when that is one of your strengths you gain a lot of confidence from what you see as one of your biggest strengths. So driving for me is um, a big key to improving those results in 2022. And and putting this, you know, just there's a certain, you know, between six and 12 feet, I just haven't put it well this year at all. And you make big, you know, you make big gains and losses from that distance. And there's a lot of momentum puts that hang around that distance. And um, that's been a weakness. So I, I feel like those two things, well, keep, you always want to keep progressing in the other areas of your game, but, um, those two things definitely attack those straight, you know, straight away. And, um, I think I'll see improvements. Well, and that's just the, the thing with driving is it, it's just a prerequisite in today's game, right? You can't, you can't get away. You can't make up for poor driving. You know, that, that gap is just, you know, you see what Bryson and Rom and a lot of these guys are doing off the tee. And if you're, you know, if you're not long and you're not accurate, you just have, there's no one that succeeds at that level. You know, it's, it's just, yeah, definitely. Like, um, there's so many players that can dominate a course, aren't there off the tee. So, well, and that's the thing too, is I've said this a million times is people don't, people confuse driving accuracy with the, the stat driving accuracy and fairways hit. Whereas you can be, if you're really long, you can get away with being slightly inaccurate as long as you're staying within the corridors. But if you're not really long, you can't really get away with not being extraordinarily accurate. Would you just, is that fair the way I described that? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, and and there are, you know, there's there's great examples of players that don't have to be really really long that excel in the game. You look at Colin is obviously the immediate obvious example that you that you would use amazing extraordinary strengths in his game that he uses to his advantage. You know, you look at Webb Simpson was world number four. I don't not that long ago. You know, with it, I think he was playing a tournament where his strengths Abraham answer these days. You know. Um, there's plenty of players and, and the game does have a, you know, a big variety of people playing a different strategy in a different game, which is great. And um, I think it's, you know, it's easy to think that you have to hit a mile, which isn't always true, but you do have to have some kind of super strength in your game if you're going to be at the very top level consistently. Well, how is, in your words, how would you describe, so you've been as high as ninth in the world and you're currently 40th in the world. How, what, what, how big is that gap? You know, is that, you know, you, you touched on it there, just being the depth be, has changed a lot in, in that time period. Um, but yeah, how, how big is that gap? What would it take for you to get back in the top 10 in the world? Well, we'll we're going to find out. We'll see. I think, you know, it's, it, there's two ways of looking at it. There's, there's obviously um, a very consistent year with strong results. Um, obviously, you, you find yourself where you want to be or the other way is like you know win a, win a major or two or two or a couple of huge events and your world ranking climbs very very high you know i've always been i feel like i've always been a very consistent player so like i rack i rack up like results throughout the year so i you know i feel like that's just how i always play but um you know it's not i don't know it's 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 not a huge gap in terms of like what you do sort of on any given day but the i think the consistency throughout four rounds needs to be there and there's a lot of tremendous performers out there and and i think having you know it's important to have an all-round game and i think having everything in order and having everything performing at a decent level to a very high level is um where you want to be and how to do it so obviously my you know looking into the next year i want to be climbing back up that world ranking and get back to where i want to be and where i feel like i can be we'll see what it takes I think I honestly needed a bit of a reminder that you didn't end up retaining your PGA Tour card this year. But what what does that mean for a player like yourself? You know, you play both you play both tours. You know, to start with, you're 40th in the world. You were you were, but at the same time, you were on the Ryder Cup team this year. You're not going to you know the Corn Ferry Tour. Will you be able to get into the U.S. events that you want to be in? Is that your path to getting your card back? And does that you know change your schedule at all for 2022? Uh, luckily, no, it's not going to change the schedule that much. I I think um you know I've already been in contact with quite a few of the you know tournament hosts and stuff and, and the event sponsors and um quite a few have come back already so like really lucky that you know I get sort of the invites that I want to off those people so which is really exciting and no the schedule won't change that much I actually might end up playing even more like we, you know we'll, we'll see we'll see how that goes but I think even throughout like last year you know I've been on the edge of trying to keep my European tour card before, albeit a while ago. And, you know, I've also, you know, you look at it like in terms of this season just gone, I've just started this season in a very strong position in golf. And I you know, can't phrase it any other way. I, I lost my full playing rights on the PJ Tour by playing bad golf, poor golf. So, you know, even, even throughout this season and, and you get to the last couple of events where I knew I had to play well to try and retain my full status, it wasn't, it's a big deal, but it, it wasn't that it wasn't anywhere near as big as where I feel like I still know whether I keep my card or not, like my game isn't where I want it to be and the way I'm playing isn't gonna get me to where I wanna be. So that comes first and foremost. And I've I'm all I've been a big believer for a long time that 
if you're playing well, you will, no matter what your opportunities are, you will find yourself where you want to be. You'll make the most of those opportunities. And if you're not, then there's nothing that's going to hide that for you. And um, so I think, you know, I never got too caught up in trying to finish in that top 125, just which is easy for me to say. I've obviously got playwrights in Europe as well. So it's, I, I know it's easy for me to say, because I know like my, oh, my job overall isn't on the line just by keeping my card. But um, my focus was totally like, you know, I, I know that I need to improve whatever happens today or tomorrow. I'm still going to be the same golfer. And that golfer still needs to improve these certain aspects of my game to get to where he wants to be, whether I'm, you know, 125th, 120th, 130th or, 70th in the in the FedEx Cup like I still I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I have to improve the same things and that was sort of where my mindset was and where it still is yeah that's that's process based rather than uh than being results based it sounds like it sounds like you're in a good place with that well yeah and it probably comes from a bit of experience with it as well so that's just my outlook on it like I say like I, I think just having a clear picture of who you are and where you're at as a golfer like I say it doesn't to me it didn't really it doesn't matter what your opportunities are if you are doing the right things and you're playing the game how you want to play it like those opportunities will come and you'll make the most of them and and if you're not doing the right things then it doesn't matter how many opportunities you have you you know they they're not gonna come off for you a quick break here to check in with our friends at golf blueprint listen we are pretty lucky down here in florida especially in january it's been it was like 80 degrees this past weekend you're able to play a decent amount of golf in the winter but listen i have been there i have been in the midwest uh you know during winters where you cannot play golf and it's hard to get better at golf but our friends at golf blueprint can help you do that they have indoor and outdoor practice plans that help they you give them information they give you a practice plan that will help you work on the things that you need to work on give you a leg up on your competition any of your buddies that you're going to be playing with you know once it is nice enough to play golf where you are you're going to want to wish you did something this winter to get better. There's always something you can do to get better. These guys will help you specifically. It's like having a personal trainer for your golf game. I'm currently trying to get back in the gym. I'm just grabbing machines here and there. Oh, I'll do this machine. I'll do this machine. That's not good for you. When I go to the range, I go. sometimes I get lazy and I just, oh, I'll hit a bunch of seven irons. That's not necessarily good for you. Stick to your golf blueprint. There's a reason why they give you specific drills and games to play either on the putting green, on the chipping green, on the range. I'm telling you it's worth it. It will make you a better player. Visit golfblueprint.com. Again, they have indoor and outdoor plans uh, to help get you through this tough time in the golf calendar. Let's get back to Tommy Fleetwood. Well, moving on to, of course, my favorite topic being the Ryder Cup. You had mentioned after after the Ryder Cup that you guys, you know, maybe weren't as far off as it, as it may have looked. And I, I kind of see where you're coming from there, but and I'm, I'm open to your rationale. But what what's your your reasoning, you know, behind uh, behind that conclusion? I think positivity. I think there was no getting away from the fact that it was a perfect storm in the wrong way for us. Like there's no getting away. Look, Europe came into it this year. We had a team of players and I, you know, I don't feel like I would be speaking in our turn to say there was a few of us that haven't had a, the year that we would want. We haven't, we weren't, you know, coming into it like on unbelievable form myself very much. I would feel like one of the top of that list that, you know, hadn't had the year that, that we would want. We're practically playing the Harlem globe trials. Like it was <laughs> arguably the best, um, you know, the U S team is practically, you know, the best that, that there's ever been, you know, we, it was an away rider cup for us. And you know, we just, we never got, out of the blocks and i think um it felt like you know when you're in the middle of it and you're playing i felt like we didn't hit as many good goal shots as as the american team and on top of that like um puts at the right time 
we missed, you guys hold, and that makes a big difference. I I, I guess like the overall comments, you're never gonna. I feel like I'm never gonna sit there and speak up for my team and say, "Oh, we're miles off. Like we need to do this, we need to do that." Um, I think we should all believe in ourselves, and we have two years, and it's you know it's an individual game for two years, and so you know. I look at myself, I know what I want to do in my game and I know what I want to do to get it better. And I'm sure everybody else is like that. And we also have, you know, in Team Europe, you know, we've got the best golfer in the world at the moment. Uh, we have some players on unbelievable form and players that are going to have an amazing future in the game. So, you know, I'm, I, I feel like you just have a strong loyalty to your team and you're going to say the most positive things um, all the time. And I, and I will always do that. Um, but definitely this Ryder Cup, we were completely you know outplayed by an amazing team well i'm curious if you take both teams the same two teams same week but that event is played again at la golf national what, what do you think happens I, I don't know the answer to that but i'm curious to hear your thoughts of what do you think i don't know i don't know the i don't know the answer either um <laughs> it would have been closer um probably uh, you, you you would like you would like to think so i would like to think if we went at it again like you know if, if you said we're going to get all 12 players together and we're going to go and play the Ryder Cup tomorrow. I would, I would, I would definitely. And I think we all would go into it, believing that Europe can and will win. Cause you know, otherwise what's the point? <laughs> like what's the point in, um, what's the point in playing? And it might be an irrational thought or it might be, it might come off and we might win, but you're never going to go into it and not believe in yourself or your teammates. And um, like I say, no matter when or where we would play, I would go in with a hundred percent belief in team Europe. You know whether that would whether it will come off or not is a different story, but that's the way that you got to think. I think. Hmm. Well, this was your first Ryder Cup stateside, so you don't really have a whole lot to to compare it to. But I was kind of surprised how often it was mentioned that you know how much or how much it seemed like it affected you guys to not have fans there cheering. Is it really that different not having anyone there cheering you on? And I know you listen, there's usually probably you know what. 20, 25% European representation at, at American Ryder Cups. I've been to a couple, and that's always a fun aspect. But uh, I was just kind of surprised at how how much it, it seemed to have in, in some way affected you guys. Did you feel that at all? It's different. It's strange. I think that was – it doesn't hit you until you actually play and you do something that would obviously – or hit a shot or hole a putt that would normally, even in any regular circumstances, would get – some kind of cheer would get a you know a good reaction a strong reaction a big reaction and it's either silent or you know it's it's more like booing or something and that's all part of the the Ryder Cup and that's what makes it such an amazing event for us as golfers that it that it is just a different atmosphere than what you get week in week out and and you know it is different I I said um in an interview after that I I, I remember it because I got asked about you know do you think the crowds made that much difference. And again, I was, I was against that kind of that thought because, you know, I, I, I said again, like my teammates and the caddies and, and everybody that goes there, captains, vice captains, the backroom staff, all of that is, is I feel like is plenty of support for us. I feel like we've got each other and that's, you know, that's all we really need. But um, the crowds obviously, do make a big difference. They lift you in difficult times um, and you ride the wave when you're having, you know, really good times. And I think, of course, the crowd, um, I do believe, probably makes some difference. Uh, but again, 
you know, when I got asked that question, I, I just I just said my teammates are enough support for me, and I don't believe that the crowd would have had any effect. But um, having the fans behind you and having European fans is is an amazing thing, and it's always good to have them, you know, push you on and carry you on their shoulders if if you need it. You know, it's it's very interesting. It's obviously all up for debate. I don't think any of us would make any excuses. It was just a weird. It is a strange atmosphere, like I say, when you just you just do something that you think is really cool and that you that you think is great, and it's just greeted with silence. Um, and there's just you and your teammate and your caddies that kind of high five it or knuckle it out. Well, it seemed even from a home team perspective, it that first tee box was so muted, if I may say. I mean, I've been there in France, and I was there in 2016 at Hazeltine. I was there in 2012 at Medina. I've never seen anything like that. And I really, I can't tell if it's, you know, if it just is the region and that's how those fans reacted or if, you know, not having the European fans there weren't enough to, you know, egg on the American fans. Yeah, to get just have more. nothing to compete yeah. against almost. Yeah, it was real though. I honestly felt, I guess, were you expecting more out of a, a you know, opposing first tee box? Yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't really know. It, it, you sort of don't know what to expect. That was my first one in America, so I had no experience to go on on what other what, what other Ryder Cups have been like. So, um, and and plus, you, you kind of you walk to the tee and and you know that the support's not in your favor anyway. So you you kind of are so self focused, or you're with your teammate and and you just do your thing. And I think it pro- it probably it kind of. When you're when you're about to play, it, it can easily pass you by, um, because you're just so focused on yourself and what you're doing, especially with an away crowd that you know is not on your side, and there's no point you going and trying to beat them up because you're not going to get any support anyway. So it's very much like focus on your task and what you're doing. And when you, when you ask me questions like that, I, I I sort of I can really see that I, I didn't focus on it at all. I was so focused on the task ahead that I kind of missed that element of it. Did you get much heckling from the American fans? And if you did, was was any of it funny? At least, uh, I I didn't get much. Uh, I got a little bit. I th- I think some people got more than me. One, I think one guy asked if it was the Solheim Cup. Clearly a reference to my hair. And um, and I I think one of them that did make me laugh was like we were mid. Uh, I played in the afternoon in on the first day, and we're obviously having a tough day. And I just heard someone in the crowd, and it wasn't even like. It wasn't even aggressive to anyone. It was just a statement. He was like, Europe are awful. I just had to laugh at that. I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty funny. Like, there was no defense against it. It was just like, shit. Some of the comments are funny. Some of them can easily get to people. But I, in general, they, they're fine. They were pretty good. But my, my heckling was kept to a, a minimum. Well, I'm confused as an American fan, you know, having a lot of experience uh, losing Ryder Cups, you know, even as soon as the post uh, post Ryder Cup press conferences, when the captain backstabbing begins. And uh, there was there was absolutely none of that uh, on your guys side and people, you know, your guys team camaraderie and spirit seems that's kind of a seems like a lazy thing to fall back on or, you know kind of a, a generic statement, but it, it seems very real from almost every person I can talk to that's involved in the team in some way. And I just wondered how, how you would describe that atmosphere and how you guys, uh, how, how you guys all get along as a group of professionals that are playing individually so much of the year and come together for this week. Yeah, I think, I think that the, the uh, team room, Europe's team room is one of the best places you can ever find yourself. Um, 
and I think all of us love each other. Um, we all play so hard for each other. We all have such a good time, and so lucky that I would I would class our team leaders, if you like, as players. You know, people like Sergio or Poltz are so they're such amazing teammates, and you definitely get the feeling that on that week anybody would do anything for anyone, and they would give anything for anyone. You just all behind each other so much and um you feel that so it's it's such a it is such a great place to be and um I've played two now both of them uh both of them in different ways have been my most amazing experiences in golf and things that you will remember forever um but yeah you, you we have such a bond and we're um it just feels like such a great team and a great atmosphere and i think i think we're very lucky really well, tell us the story of, you know, what, what made it hit home for me was hearing the story about how the new team members were introduced, um, you know, the hype video that leads into, you know, counting the number of players that were Could you tell us kind of, and, and, and you could tell the listeners that story, because you, you can tell it much better than I was. I was, of course, not there. Um, yeah, we, we had this thing this year where it was, um, uh, we all got given our number, so I'm trying to remember correctly. It might have been one six four. Might have been the most recent, like the uh, which was burnt, which uh, was the he's the you know the most recent guy to get in the team. We had three. Did we have three rookies this year? Uh, yes. Shane, Victor, and Burnt. Um, so we had this. Um, it was it, you know it was an amazingly cool video of um, what your you know what your number is. Um, get giving your number. What the number means. Uh, make it count was our slogan, and then. You know, after, you know, after that video, you get, you know, the talk from Padraig, who was an, an amazing speaker throughout the week. And then he announced, you know, the the rookies who've just got given their, who've just got given their number. And it was, it was really cool. Cause again, you just get welcomed into the team. And again, like the, on both sides, rookies these days just don't feel like rookies because you all play the same events and such big events. And you've had such big moments in the biggest tournaments and, um but yeah it's 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 obviously a very very special thing and you just have to see the guys that played their first one this year how much they loved it and i was a rookie three years ago and i remember how much i loved being in the team and then you watch those guys and how just into it you are and how much you kind of just feel like everybody's been in the team for like 20 years um it's it's an amazing like vibe and that but it was very cool and everybody's so behind and you see the guys faces how much it means to everyone just to be um you know play for europe and re and represent and and wear the clothes and everything and get your number so that was that was really cool and just so well done by you know everybody that was behind that that's where i think i'm getting closer and closer and closer to understanding you know this this how this team atmosphere on europe has led to so much success you know it's it's little stories like that that you know take it from being this kind of rosy you know, media presented thing to like hearing the detailed stories behind the scenes of the things that unfold. It's like, ah, well, that makes sense why you see like so much emotion and how that, you know, the team, yeah, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's a whole culture thing that, you know, I think, I guess that's a better question. How, how does that lead to, how does the team atmosphere potentially lead to either better or worse golf in, in either way on either side of the coin? And, you know, in, in theory, like how would, how does that actually lead to better golf shots, more putts hold? Does it lead to that in any way? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, I mean, 
you know, I've played both good and not so good now in, in, in two Ryder Cups. I think there's, there's definitely that there's a aura and an atmosphere created in our team. And I obviously can only speak for team Europe. That's all I can ever speak for. Cause that's all I experience. but you just feel so you feel very safe. Um, and when you have people leading the team, like we do, like I say, I go back to Paulson and Sergio, they speak amazingly. And anybody that is even the slightest bit down um, about a result, one of those is picking you up straight away. Uh, Rory is another one, like such positive people and amazing teammates and team leaders that you, you don't get a chance to sit there and feel down uh, or feel sorry for yourself they pick you up so quickly and you go out there and again you're always playing you're not playing for yourself you're playing for each other and yeah things happen in the Ryder Cup don't they I mean they happen on both sides as well there's always amazing goal shots hit there's always amazing moments like I, I don't I don't know how it translates into into the golf side of things but yeah it's it's clearly a very special event and Europe do you know we, we obviously do have a great record in you know, in recent history, if you like, but it seems to be, you know, swapping over now. Home Rider Cups seem to have been very, very important um, in the last few. Um, and we'll see where, you know, we'll see where it goes in the future. But it is an amazing time. And, and yeah, Europe, especially this one, like this was such a great set of teammates for Europe. And I, th I, th I think if a few guys said like the atmosphere and the unison that we all had together was like as good as they've ever experienced. And um, again, like I, I think it's, it's such a natural thing for us. It's not like we work on it, the, the, the back, the backroom staff and the, and what goes into it um, and how they produce those videos or um, how they set the team room out is unbelievable. And clearly, you know, makes, I think that makes a massive difference. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know, like just uh, the Ryder Cup's cool event and, um, you know, some people are just made for that. Well, and again, I guess I'll throw my kind of theory on it. The way I've, I've come to the conclusion is I think there's a, an atmosphere that can promote um, a bit too much pressure to be put on yourself in terms of the expectation of winning or the pressure of winning. And I, that's always what I've felt like until recent year, until this most recent one, when I'm watching the U S team, I know they want to win. I know they want to win very badly. It's not a question of desire, but it almost seems like they're, they were result focused more than like just, you know, owning the process of going out and getting a point and selling yourself out for your teammates and the, the two can promote two totally different ways of playing golf. No one plays, I would imagine, not very many people play as much golf, uh, play as well when they are putting extreme amounts of pressure on themselves to perform versus, I don't know, the idea of selling out to your team, I feel like, is is what you guys have been uh, been able to capture. And that's that's the difference to me. I don't know if that makes sense at all. Yeah, it, it totally makes sense. And, um, you know, I would love to. I've, I've never um, had sort of not been in that place really but had conversations with um captains on what their like beliefs are or how they they feel like they create the best environment for for guys to to thrive so i, I would love to probably talk to the to the guys the guys that have been captains about that and and sort of you might get a better answer off them but um you know it's important to go out there and feel it's it's an experience that you don't get it's at once every two years. So it's, um, you know, it can be daunting. It can be intimidating. 
And I think going out there feeling as safe and as comfortable and as confident and as ready to play and give it your all and, and not worried about anything is, you know, always going to be a better, be better than the alternative. Sure. Well, tell us about Marco Simone in 2023. What's that golf course like? Who does it suit? Uh, a lot of us on this side of the pond are not very familiar with it. I've watched the YouTube videos of, uh, from, of highlights from the Italian Open and whatnot. But tell us about that golf course. Yeah, I thought it was good. I played it this year in the Italian Open. The finish is going to be an unbelievable finish for a Ryder Cup. Um, that's what was the, the biggest thing that stuck out in my mind was 16, 17 and 18. What an amazing finish um, that's going to be for matches that go down those holes. It's like 16 they can make into a drivable par four that's got water on the right. 17 is a par three with a really narrow green. And then 18 to par five where obviously anything can happen on par five. So um, I really do think the finish is going to be amazing. And I think in terms of a Ryder Cup course, there's a lot of holes that you hit down on from raised tees, a few sort of amphitheaters. And I don't know, the challenge of the course, you know, you, you never you never know how it's going to pan out and you don't know how you're going to, how they're going to set it up. And again, is the standard getting, you know, more and more it's closer and similar. But at the same time, you know, you, you think that at the Gulf National or Whistling Straits, you feel like, you know, in both teams, the strength in depth, you, you know, you, you play well, you're going to, the guys are going to have an equal chance. And I think that's, that should be the same on any course. But again, we'll see. Obviously seems to be a way of setting a course up that is advantageous for the home side, but it, it will be good. I think it'll be a really, really good venue for the Ryder Cup for sure. Why is that? What, what is, I don't think it's as simple as maybe even I like to make it out to be in terms of, you know, grow the rough up. It helps Europe trim the no, rough down. No, I have no helps. idea. What, you don't, don't know what know it is? I, I try and figure that out. <laughs> well, no, I, well, I don't because you get, you know, you feel like you, you set, no matter if it wasn't a Ryder Cup and, and the guy and the course was set out, you know, the same as what it is, you'd think like anybody compete can compete on that course. It's not like, you know, nobody out of the 24 players could win an event. So I, 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 I really, I really don't, I'm not sure, but it does, it does seem to obviously be playing a part, but I'm definitely not the person to ask. I can't figure it out. Hmm. In your mind, what is what is an ideal place for a Ryder Cup? You know, it can be it can be nostalgic. It can be you know, obviously the infrastructure needs. Where's a place you would love to see a Ryder Cup go? It's a very very, that's a very good question. I would, um, I guess, off the top of my head, if I if I chose, you know, places in Europe. I mean, it can be realistic or unrealistic, you know? <laughs> well, like the home of golf, St. Sure. Andrews would be, um, I don't know, I would feel like that would be something quite unique and special. And I would obviously always like to think that where I grew up, which is such a golfing community and amazing fans, like when we have the Open at Birkdale um, or Hoylake or Lytham, I would love like people from where I'm from to get the chance to all experience a Ryder Cup um, in that way on any of those courses. But, you know, I mean, that, that's I, I guess those two would come to mind first. And that's what you know, it, it is a different thing hosting even a, even an open championship versus hosting a Ryder Cup or two very different things in terms of all the fans congregating in one place. And that's kind of how the venues get chosen. I think a dare manner is going to be really cool in Ireland in, in 2020. A dare manner will be tremendous. Yeah, that's a good a good blending of uh, I know it's not a links course, but. You know, the uh, Irish golf fans are fantastic, and I think that one's one to look forward to. It'll be really cool, yeah. I, f I feel like, yeah, the next few are going to be, yeah, I, f I feel like they're all going to be really cool. 
So a hot topic in the world of golf, and you are uh, one of the players that requested a, a waiver to play in the Saudi International. It was, you know, it was long talked about whether or not the PGA Tour would or should grant releases. How does well one? How does that work with you no longer having a PGA Tour card? Do you still need a release from the PGA Tour to play in the Saudi International? What did you think of that process, or were you expecting the PGA Tour? They they recently did announce for the listeners' uh, sake. They did announce that they are allowing players to play if you know there's some conditions. They have to come play the AT and T in certain ways and whatnot. But what were your thoughts on that process? You know, I played the event last year, and look like. That this that again there was there was two things that are the biggest things that pull the guys to play that that I I believe personally and this was my reason for wanting to play. Um, there's no secrets that a lot of people are getting paid handsomely to go. I don't think appearance money. You know, people get paid to play events throughout the year in many many different places. So you know, it's not really that's not a new concept at all um, but you are getting paid <laughs> paid well to go and play and the other thing is that it's going to be you know when you look at the entry list and and you know who's going and who wants to play it's going to be aside from the majors and the odd event it's going to be one of the highest world ranking events in the in the world of golf throughout the year and um, you don't want to miss out on that kind of thing so that was my reasoning to to want to go and play and yeah you didn't you know until recently Nobody knew what was going to happen, how it was going to pan out. And, and yeah, we need the releases to play. And um, it looks like that that's all sort of getting um, sorted out and, and there's a compromise there and um, it's all good so far. Well, a lot of people, myself included, have been critical of guys that have, you know, bypassed PGA Tour events to to play in this event. You know, considering the country's human rights record, what would you say? What what you know? It's it's an awkward question to ask, but you know, when you're, would you say you are you up to speed and aware of where the criticism comes from, and are you understanding of what you know why people are, you know, focusing on this issue so much? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, I get it, and everybody. Um... Of course, that's what makes the world go around is people's um, thoughts and opinions and, the, and their beliefs. And look, it was it was a European tour event for three years and it's now an Asian tour event. And yet, like it's different when you're a member of a tour that the that the event is hosting. It's like, you, you know, you can't sort of expect people whose job it is to go out there and make a living to, you know, sort of bypass an event if you like because that's their opportunities and that's their way of making a living on those tours um but you know i you know i like i said that's i i get it that's what makes the world go around and i would never tell anybody not to have an opinion or anything um myself i'm going i'm going there with 150 other players um to go and do my best in that event and again uh, i'm not going to hide away from it you get you get you're getting paid to play which is a good thing for you and and your family and and when you get there, it's just another event and everybody just gets on with it and does their own thing, play, and then you're at another event the next week and you always feel like you just move on, keep moving forwards. And I do think, just for the listener's sake, that you know it is a different question being asked Europeans, European players, 
than it is some American players. And, you know, there's some, some people that don't play and then as much of international schedule that skip out on pretty big PGA tour events to go play in that, that are already making an extremely handsome living that to me, that is where I start to feel uncomfortable and it just doesn't feel, you know, justified. I, I'm with you in the terms of on the European side. I think it's always been a different question and it's, it's just a, it's such a weird time, you know, in, in the game with, you know, the much rumored super golf league, Greg Norman recently announced as the CEO of live golf, where, where do you net out on where your allegiances lie and, and how does this event fit into any of that picture in your mind? It's so difficult on so many levels for a bunch of players. The Super Golf League, look, I, I, was never, I was never, ever contacted in any way about that, so I know so little about it. Um, but obviously we know being part of the world of golf that it is a thing potentially. Um, whether that actually transpires or not will be another thing altogether i think it's a it's a weird spot at the moment if you look at the whole global picture of golf what seems funny at the moment is like the asian tour obviously seems very much separated now from the european and pga tour in a way that's kind of weird i would love to see like i feel like the world of golf should always you know it should be a collective thing like i, I feel like people and players should not necessarily get equal opportunities. I get that it's, it's different. People grow up in different countries. People that grow up in America are obviously going to have a better opportunity to play the PGA tour. And people that grow up in Europe, you know, you're going to go through Euro pro tour to the challenge tour to the European tour. And I get that there's um, easier ways of getting on each, but I, I, you know, I don't like the thought of um, people growing up in the game now somewhere and, potentially getting left behind but again we'll see um we'll see where that goes and again like it's not definitely me I, i'm not high enough up in the game um and on the ladder um definitely not at the moment where i make a difference to anything and i'm sort of i mean it's very rare that i'm asked these questions i just sort of concentrate on um my game and, and trying to get to where to where I want to be so it's like I, I very rarely sort of get um sort of considered or, or asked about these things but it's 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 always it's going to be a difficult question to answer for a while and it'll be interesting to see where golf goes and um my career for sure is going to last hopefully is going to last you know quite a while longer and we'll see what course golf takes in that time Man, that's not something I get a lot of. You know, people saying that I'm I'm the I'm asking the hard hitting questions here. Usually, I'm I'm the softball guys. <laughs> well, I think this whole <laughs> yeah, no idea. Who knows? This whole thing has made all of you guys at least ask yourself in some way. If you're not always asking yourself, like like what motivates you in golf? What do you want out of golf? And I think you know there are a, whatever percent of the top players that will just flat out say like it's money. I'm motivated by money. Some will say it's you know, it's, it's trophies, it's, it's competition, it's, you know, growing the game, it's all these things. But have you asked yourself that question, what motivates you golf? And if you haven't, I'll ask it now. What, 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 what is it that motivates you? Oh yeah. Yeah, of course. I, um, like I, I, I want to reach my potential in the game. Like the game has been my passion and my profession for a long time. I've always dreamt of being the best golfer in the world. I've always dreamt of winning the open. I do believe in growing the game and that is a global thing that is everyone included or um and i you know i have a i always feel like i have a a good connection with kids and i enjoy watching kids getting into the game and enjoying the game and seeing what 
their vision is for themselves and how much they enjoy it. And I, I do think, you know, nothing at the very, very top end happens without, you know, the numbers and the guys that are coming through uh, that just start the game by picking up a golf club. And, you know, on, on top of that, for sure, we live or we're playing the game at the moment in an unbelievably strong position where you can retire early than you've ever retired and you can set your family up for life. You know, all of those things put together, we're very fortunate that we are working in the profession that we do and we get to go out there on a golf course and do what we love. And you can do all those things. You know, you, you, you have all the facilities and possibilities to go and try and achieve your potential. You can grow the game. You have access to that these days. And, you know, you're setting your family up for life. And I think those three things are always what I look at. What, what would you say if you're sitting here now and, and excluding yourself, even, you know, your own personal decisions from this, how do you see, it feels like there's changing tides here in the professional golf world, you know, these days, how do you see it playing out? We've already seen a ton of stuff happen in terms of the strategic alliance between the PGA tour and the European tour, you know, co-sanctioned events. I, I picture that getting stronger and stronger player impact program, money going up on the PGA tour. The PGA tour seems to have changed the way they communicate with their players, all that. How do you see it playing out in, you know, in, in two, three, four years? My first answer would be, I don't know. <laughs> I, for sure, like the European Tour and the PGA Tour are joining up more and more. And like you say, you see, you're seeing more co-sanctioned events. I have no idea what that means for what it will look like in the 2023 season or 2024, but I'm sure that is going to continue, but we're going to, Eventually, there's going to be a point where, you know, the merge has to stop at some point in terms of like not every event can be co-sanctioned. There'll probably be a bit of to and fro at some point, but I, I, I don't know when that'll be and I don't know what that will consist of. And we'll see, there's, there's obviously other people that want to do something different in the game of golf. I have never felt like professional golf or tour professional golf has needed that much different and incredibly lucky that we have tours like the PJ tour European tour that I've played on for a while now where you where you get to go out and play and and make your living and play for these I mean ridiculous sums of money in in a way and and you know to have them opportunities and and we'll see where these tours go in in the future but if you one thing is for certain that if you are playing well and uh, you're up there at the top of the game then it's um it's an amazing place to be right now and you're going to do very well from it. Has playing for ridiculous sums of money as in your, in your words, uh, has it changed your life at all? And if so, in what ways does it change your life? I don't think it's, has it changed my life? I don't, obviously like I have nice things. Uh, we have nice holidays and you can stay in nice hotels. Um, but it doesn't change your life style greatly. It seems like is, is kind of what I'm getting at there. It's, it seems like a, for you personally, it seems like a nice to have, not not uh, not a total. Hasn't changed who you are in any way. Oh no, no, not at all. I think there's just um, a level of comfort in our family where you know we there's you know we we get to enjoy what we want to do. Like if we decide we want to go on holiday somewhere and do something nice or stay in a nice hotel, we we can do that. But um, lifestyle wise, like no, no, nothing's really changed. And I honestly. Um, never think about how much money we either have how much money we've earned or what we're actually playing for week in week out you just that comes with playing really really well and again like recently when 
things have been announced like the players championship and the person that I mean the, the easiest one to look at is FedEx Cup it's what 15 million dollars it's not 15 million dollars when you finish 137th on the PJ Tour it's 15 million dollars if you play amazing golf like Patrick Cantley did and um, none of it comes without you working hard and and being really good at what you do and and I think that is has to be at the forefront of everybody's mind is those sums of money only exist for the guys that play really really well that it doesn't exist for the guys that don't and um and we all know that so you know it's like it, it's amazing for it to light up in your eyes and see that but you know that there's a lot of hard work underneath there and um it's there for the taking if you do if you're doing great and that's sort of always how i think of it yeah that's where i i just i pictured golf you know the the shakeout from all of this being just that the pga tour gets stronger and stronger and stronger uh, with that alliance as well with the with now DP World Tour, you got to get used to saying that now instead of European uh, Tour. Yeah, how many times have I said European <laughs> Tour? I'll get I'll get a bollocking for that at some point. But um, uh, the DP World Tour, but yeah, like both and even you know even on a level that you know the the DP World Tour when they made that announcement, I was playing the Aviv Championship that week, um, and I was there for the announcement. And and this is this is what people don't see either. The, the players' faces light up on that tour when they heard that this had happened and you're hearing the minimum purse go up to $2 million and like the stability and the schedule and everything. It was really, really, really cool and lovely to see like people, you know, especially on, on that tour that's been a struggle the last couple of years uh, throughout this pandemic and events have got on the calendar really late some have been cancelled you, you never quite know what you're doing and 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 for those like for so many of those players you saw how happy everybody felt like some breathed a sigh of relief some were like you know so made up that they could plan a schedule for this year and that's like that's amazing to see really and and um i i am a player like i'm a touring pro and i always think of things as that and um it was really really nice to see how um you know that's not the the top end of the spectrum where you're talking about loads of cash, but it's, it's, you know, players realizing that they have a structure, um, something solid that they can play in and like a guaranteed, you know, they're looking at the person and thinking this is, you know, such a big, big thing for us. So that was really nice. Well, a couple more here and we'll get you out of here as the, as the new year. I hope I don't get you all the way to the, uh, the, the ball drop and you're getting close, but uh, a couple things I don't think we've ever talked about on this podcast, but some, a couple things that are unique to your life in terms of professional golfers that I, I don't know who else, if anyone else has this uh, arrangement, this is, I believe how you guys met, but your wife is, is your wife, Claire is your manager. What's that like? And how is that different than, uh, than, you know, you know, other, other, I don't know how you can compare it to other professionals, but what's that like? <laughs> um it's great like it's um yeah it's the best like we we have um i think we're lucky that we have a relationship where we can easily switch into having a work discussion she's an amazing agent um even if she's not my wife she's an amazing agent and um so I, like i'm very lucky that way but like we you know we we get on great and we've always found that transition if you like or whatever you call it like mixing work-life balance we've always found it's come very natural and yeah it's it's how we met but with uh you know it's it's been great and um people do ask that question and we've like never ever had the slightest of issues um and it's always been great and and she is very very good at her job 
And and you're you're turning 31 here in a couple of weeks, um, and yeah. you, you guys have a young boy, Frankie, who's three now, turning four. Is uh, four. Uh, turning four. Okay. Or he's already four. He's already four. Oh, already four, four in Jeez. September. And, but you have how many stepsons do you have? And, and tell us about that relationship. That's a that's a I think that's unique for someone your age to kind of be thrown into to so fatherhood of uh, teenagers. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, tell us Oscar's, about that. Oscar's 15 and like way bigger than me, and uh, <laughs> Mo's 13. Um, and again unbelievably lucky with the relationship we have absolutely adore them um and we've we've always gotten great and it's um it's cool like seeing them grow up and um i think that you know that they're, they're so into the golf at the moment so i i can obviously i can do that stuff like i can i can talk and i can play i can play golf um they're really into that and it's and it's great to see sort of their passion in in the game like i'll come off the course and mo will tell me like your routine was a little bit out today or see something in my swing. So he's telling me what to do already. Um, <laughs> and you know, that they're, they're, they're great. So we've um, like, and, and that, you know, that family side of it, that that's you know, the best thing in your life. And um, I'm lucky that I have, that I have a great one, but uh, I always, we travel so much and I always love the weeks that we're all together and you see them out on the course um, supporting you. And then, you're back wherever you stay in in the evening and you know they might talk about the day or they might you know they might completely change the subject and not be interested in your golf but i completely love that side of it all right final three questions here you can answer these as as as, as lengthy or short as you want knowing that i'm gonna let you out here soon but what is different about pro golf than how you pictured it as a kid you have asked some good questions today um <laughs> it's my job <laughs> what is different about pro golf to what i pictured as a kid I think the search would be the wrong word, but I think always the, or, you know, so many times you're looking at a different putter or trying something new. I think you never stop looking at how to get better, looking at ways to improve, thinking of the next thing and striving for more. When I was a kid, I probably didn't picture that. I, I felt like professional golfers and the best ones always had it so figured out and the reality is you're always looking for more and there's always questions that are unanswered and i think that was pro that was probably the biggest difference you can go back in time and tell a young tommy lad anything you can pick your age it's got to be golf related it can't just be you know buy some apple stock or something like that what age would you go back to and what would you say I would probably tell myself this very young but then if i was that young i probably wouldn't take it in but i would say the result is never the end of the story good or bad whatever the result you wake up the next day and you're the same golfer that has to do the same things that you thought you had to do the day before that would be my biggest thing you get one round to play in england where are you playing it oh, that's such a good uh i would play it i would play it at formby hall the course that i grew up at and it would be with um my dad and my kids and finno we'd play a five and <laughs> We didn't talk enough Finno on, on this. Maybe we'll save that for the next one. So that guy is the absolute man. So Tommy, really appreciate your time, man. Hope you have a great new year and uh, a great 22 se 2022 season and look forward to catching up when we see you again soon. No, that was great. Thanks for stuffing me with all the great questions. <laughs> Enjoyed it, man. Take care. Cheers. Thank you, mate. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah! Yeah! I mean, that's... Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! 
expect 